Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week, we have two podcasts celebrating the BAFTA nominations. On Thursday, I'll be speaking to Anne Dowd, who is nominated for her performance in the brilliant film Mass. But for this week's show, I'm talking to Questlove about his brilliant documentary, Summer of Soul, which is nominated for the BAFTA Best Documentary Award. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with the great Questlove. Questlove, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I reviewed Summer of Soul when it came out, and I, I'm a, a, a boring aficionado of uh, rock films and concert films, and I think it is the greatest pop concert film ever made. I thought it was just knockout. And wow. I, I, I raved about it in the paper, and I was so impressed by it. But the thing that shocked me the most was that I didn't know about it before I saw your film. And I felt like, and I've been writing about rock movies and pop movies for quite a long time. And I was really ashamed that I did not know that this footage was there and it existed. So can we, can we start by telling, tell me something about how you discovered that incredible treasure trove and had you always known about it? How did you come to it? Okay. So the first time that, this footage known as the Harlem Cultural Festival came across my radar uh, was in Japan. I was in Tokyo in 1997 on tour with the Roots and my translator uh, looking at my Afro says, hey, I think I, I think you would really enjoy this place called the Soul Train Cafe, which was um, a restaurant that had like television monitors uh, spread throughout the uh, premises and they showed three minutes of the slide in the family stone um, footage. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't know what I was watching. It was like the camera. That's the, the bird's eye view camera. So I couldn't see right. the faces of the people watching. I thought I was watching a European festival and then cut to 20 years later, two gentlemen uh, leave word with me at the tonight show that they would like to meet about this so-called black Woodstock yeah. movie. And, you know, I was Googling Black Woodstock and I never, you know, I never heard of it. Uh, there's no information of it on the Internet. So at the, at the very most, I just like, well, this this must be a ruse or <laughs> some sort of trick. And um, <laughs> and then basically uh, they brought on the footage a week later and I still had my doubts and 
you know, I made some calls to some music experts and they never heard of it. And so um, when they brought the hard drive, my first thing was like, well, the sound must suck or, you know, the footage must be bad or something. And it was so beautiful. And so I was just obsessed with why yeah. didn't I know about this? That was my motivation. There's this lovely thing about, um, uh, you know, Musa Jackson watching that footage and 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 being in tears mm-hmm. and going, I'm not crazy. I didn't imagine it. You know, I'm I'm not crazy. And I the when I saw that, it, I mm-hmm. thought either that is the the best acting I have ever seen, or that is somebody who is genuinely in tears because I didn't imagine this stuff to happen. Musa Musa was my very first interview on my first day, and my first comment was this guy was way too young to know anything about this festival yeah let's see his id to make sure i'm not older than he is and you know that time he was 57 years old and um you know we we didn't show many footage or we just sat him down and told him tell us what you remember and he you know unlike the other guests that we show footage to just to spruce up their memories and whatnot. Um, with Musa Jackson, he said this was the first memory he ever had in his life. And that that meant something more. Like, this is his first life memory. And to have no proof of it, that was the common denominator amongst everyone. Nobody believed them when they said, I saw Stevie Wonder and Sign the Family Stone for free in Harlem. Everyone thought they were lying. <laughs> Yeah, free concert by Stevie Wonder and Seinfeld. So get out of here. So, and that's that's the thing. Like the fact that we just validated them, we validated them, and really, like, you know, to live with this, to live with this memory for fifty five years and have no proof of it, um, does something to you. So that's where the tears came from. I was a little kid. I remember being with my family walking around the park, and as far as I could see, it was just black people. This was the first time I'd ever seen so many of us. It was incredible. Families, fathers, mothers, kids running around. I was one of those kids. Beautiful, beautiful women, beautiful men. It was like seeing royalty. The other thing that's wonderful, I mean, from a kind of film history point of view, is that, you know, you always think in terms of the, you know, the documents of that period, people always cite, you know, Woodstock and Gimme Shelter. And I think Gimme Shelter is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. I think it's a terrifying film. Mm -hmm. But I thought, and I may be overthinking this, I thought there was a sly reference to Gimme Shelter because Gimme Shelter begins with Mick Jagger sitting down to watch the footage and then ends with him going, Okay, and then walking away with the tragedy of it all. And your film begins with Musa sitting down to watch it and then ends with him elated and jubilant. And I, I wondered whether that was a kind of a nod. Oh, wow. I, I would love to have taken credit for, uh, <laughs> for that parallel uh, observation. But really, you know, like none of that can be planned. Um, in the very beginning, I just wanted to put together a cool concert, like, a mixtape, if you will, just like 17 performances. 
But the more we kept finding out about the the concert, the more we kept getting newsy and seeing what's under the hood. You know, like the, someone told us that like they were booing when Stevie was announcing uh, the moon landing, you know, because the moon landing was happening. Yeah. At the same time when Stevie was on stage. And so um, instantly we put out feelers to see if there's anybody that could corroborate that the people weren't happy with the moon landing. And we luckily found that footage. So it's like once we opened that door, then every other question I had then suddenly became a door that we had to. So yeah. the editing had to be like perfect with, with Josh Pearson, our editor. Um, you know, I want to keep you in the festival but I still want to put it into context and explain to you about one, why this concert had to be thrown uh, two, what it took to throw this concert and three, which is what happens after this concert, um, you know, to the performers, to the people, that sort of thing. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a daunting task, like trying to correct history and entertain people at the same time. Well, I think you did it brilliantly. I mean, that moment when we hear the guy say, look, never mind the moon, let's get some of that cash in Harlem. And it's just it's it's just the phrase that sums up that moment so beautifully. And all, and in fact, the, 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 you know, the great joy of it is I've seen uh, concert films before in which I feel like sometimes the interviews get in the way of the concert. I never felt that with Summer of Soul. I kind of felt that what they were doing was they were making the the songs more enjoyable they were making the performances more enjoyable because you felt like you were it felt like that stuff put you i mean i'm sorry i can't say enough good things i cannot tell you how much i love summer of soul uh my favorite part about that that moment is uh you know my favorite part of the film is when people reach out to me on social media to let me know wow i never seen my grandmother as a 19 year old <laughs> or you know that's my older brother and that guy who said let's keep some of that cash in harlem his baby brother is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, that's the older brother of Raheem from Grandmaster Flash and the Furies yeah, 5. Yeah, wow. And when he saw that, he was like, yo, I've not seen my brother since I guess he passed away pretty much a little bit after that. And so for him to get a, a view of his brother meant so much to him because he has no documentation of him. And that that to me was like a special moment, you know. 
powerful performances. I think, is that the first time Nina Simone ever performed Young, Gifted and Black live? Is that the, is that the first yes. airing of it? Not only is that the first time she's doing Young, Gifted and Black, but this is really the first time that she's doing her uh, kind of new form of music, which is like her protest music phase. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was seeping here and there, but um, pretty much that entire performance, there was not one show tune in there. No love songs, no uh, jazzy tunes, none of that stuff. Like this is one of our very first all protest music sets. You know, be like occasional Mississippi Goddamn and you know, uh, Strange Fruits you might cover like here and there in a concert. But um, for a lot of the artists, this was them at the precipice of the the chapter two in their lives. You know, Stevie Wonder is about to really turn up the genius in two years. Um, the staple singers are getting out of gospel quartet music and more into a soul pop thing. Um, Glass Night and the Pips are going to leave Motown and have some of their biggest success on Buddha records. Um, you know, uh, you know, Sly and the Family Stone in 10 days will be household names. In 10 days, they'll do Woodstock and then they'll be household names and change the face of music. So you're basically not only are you watching a festival in which, you know, the civil rights era goes into the black power area era, but then also, you know, as we leave the more Malcolm gentle side of things and into the, the, uh, the, the Panther side of things with, with the fashion and the, and the, you know, our hair and all those things, but musically also um, you're watching people change, you know, Max Roach doing less jazz music and more protest gospel music. Like literally everyone is morphing in front of your eyes. I took a trip to Paris. That Sly and the Family Stone footage is just, I mean, it's on fire. And again, it was like watching it for the first time because I watched it, at I've seen it many times now, but I watched it at home and I thought, I need to see this on a big screen. I need to see this projected. I want to see this with a big loud sound mm -hmm. system. And I, by the time I finally did, it was like the third or fourth time I've seen it. But of course it is one of those films that you can just keep watching because it's so joyous. But the Sly and the Family Stone, Stone stuff is just, I mean, they are on fire. I mean, I know they were a great band anyway, but like they are just absolutely on it. Yeah, they were in the zone. What was and what was beautiful about that moment? You know, the first the first cut of, the first cut of my film was like three hours and twenty minutes, um, so I had to cut ninety minutes out. So there was a there was a part I really wish I could stretch on, and that was just the arrival of Sly and the Family Stone. Um, yeah, for me, Camera Four was the most precious, awesome camera. 
of the four cameras that captured the um, festival because that's more or less faced on the audience. So what you got to understand is that Tony Lawrence, when he's making this announcement, uh, the audience does not know that Sly and the Family Stone's coming. Few people found out on the radio, special guests coming to the Harlem Cultural, but no one knew. Some people had a clue, but no one knew. And so, you know, the shock, because the, the thing that's so revolutionary about Sly and the Family Stone is they are the, they are the manifestation of uh, Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream speech. You know, this inner uh, sort of uh, intersectional, uh, you know, gender pairing and, and racial pairing, family pairing. Like you got cousins, brothers, sisters, uh, white people, black people, you know, all mixed together. And not only that, but the most revolutionary thing about Sly was their look. Um, black people were not used to black people wearing their regular street clothes on stage. You know, you always had to wear a suit. Like black people always had to come into the guise of, I come in peace. I come in peace. And the number one, the number one way to protect yourself in public as an artist was you always had to wear a suit. When you weren't on stage with James Brown, uh, he made you wear a suit even on on traveling eight hours to the next city because he said that the police stop you, then I can't protect you. At least if you look professional, then the police might not mess with you, but, um, you know, David Ruffin wore a wool tuxedo in the middle of August, which basically is saying that, but the commentary is basically that his comfort wasn't more important than looking harmless and professional. And so the fact when Simon the Family Stone walked out, you see the look of every Body over the age of 25 just turned into utter shock, like, <gasps> like not disgust, but almost like, what the hell is this? And then next thing you know, um, every kid is losing their mind because they're like, slide was really made for the kids. So just to see that uh, level of shock on the audience's faces when they walked out on stage in their regular clothes. That was something to behold. And then to see Sly win over the adults was even something more to behold. By the end, the adults were screaming louder than the kids were. Sometimes I'm right, and I can be wrong. My only leaves are in my song. The butcher, the banker, the drummer, and then makes no difference what group I'm in. And then you've got, you know, you've got that and then you've got Fifth Dimension, who again, you know, I remember thinking Fifth Dimension. OK. And then and then, yeah. I mean, this this sounds so the worst thing about being a film critic, trying to talk about a film like Summer of Soul is that what I want to do is to say smart, intelligent things like the thing about, you know, the beginning and end of Gimby Shepard. And all I actually want to do is go, I fucking love this film. I can't tell you how exciting it is to watch this film. You know, I'll take it. No, you know, the same with the fifth dimension. Um, I'll say that with Musa Jackson and with Merlin McCoo, I really didn't plan on having an emotional element. Like, I didn't know that there was anything emotional about this film that could pull out anyone's heartstrings. Like, I'm just thinking, yeah. hey, it's a performance. But um, 
you know, there was a point where we were shooting and both of those moments when they're both crying and I'm talking to them, I didn't realize that we were running. I thought we were changing, uh, I thought we were uh, changing cards. And so, you know, I was just doing a side comment to Billy and Marilyn. I said, you know, I don't think in my history of knowing you guys, I've ever known you guys to, uh, to dance. You know, I've never seen you guys dance like this on the Ed Sullivan show or, you know, uh, Hollywood Palace, like those really posh, uh, you know, sophisticated shows that they're always on. Um, you know, the relief of being comfortable in Harlem and being accepted was such a big deal to her that I didn't realize that it was going to induce tears. And so, yeah. um for me, that was a very important that, you know, once that's when I knew I had something important when people just had an emotional connection that I didn't even like this stuff that you try to plan when you do a movie. Like, I hope someone breaks out and cries. I, I was just yeah. glad they remembered it in the first place, you know? Well, listen, I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I mean, I'm tearing up now. I mean, even just thinking about that sequence because I've seen the film so many times and it, it just, every time it kind of breaks my heart because it's so it's so unexpected and it's so it's so joyous and i think that one of the things every time i watch the film i have the same ex experience of it's like seeing something for the first time and the first time i saw it i was just I, why don't i know about this and actually as i said i just felt bad i felt like i just feel embarrassed that i didn't know this stuff hey, i made it but, and i didn't know it either but that that sense of there being this kind of you know this secondary history this this alternative history that that somehow has been buried is also something that makes you angry because you think how is it that i mean i know that they that there were plans to do stuff with that footage but they you know it took you and it took this long for it to come out and it i suspected oh well maybe you know maybe the the film isn't very good maybe as you said maybe the sound isn't very right. good but when you see i know that it's been worked on but when you see it in that state you think there it's almost like there must have been an active conspiracy of silence to stop that because no but it's see, so good here's the thing it's the exact opposite and the thing is is that I know when I mentioned black erasure in the movie, we tend to think of like a very extreme definition of it. Like right now they're trying to ban yeah. the books in the Southern yeah. parts of the United States. And, you know, like it's a conspiracy to stop these things. Like that's happening with, with some books and some college lessons here, but really, unfortunately there's the benign kind of level of racism that we go through a lot in the United States um, that isn't, uh, physically harmful, but it's just as damaging. And, you know, it's simply, I, I saw the rejection letters in Hal Tolson's collection. You know, they were just like, hey, uh, this seems like exciting footage, but um, it's it's not for us right now. We'll, we'll make a pass. And, you know, I think, I think that for some people, it's a matter of like, can this make me money? Is it worth it? It's all right, but not really. So I'll pass. And that's that that level of sort of benign, casually dismissive shrug. Uh, it's no big deal is that's hurtful, you know, but I also feel like this movie couldn't have come at such a better time in my life, no, in the no. world's life. So it's it's still going to serve its purpose, even though it's 50 years out the gate.
How do you feel about the awards? Because, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm, people love the film, but do the awards matter to you? Here is the here's the beautiful thing now. And it's weird that you and I are talking right now on the 23rd anniversary of one of my biggest records, which is Things Fall Apart. When you're making albums, at least when I was making albums, there's such a calculated thought in your head, like this song's going to go to number one. <laughs> this album's going to go top five. This, you know, you're so calculating with it that because I had absolutely zero context on what the movie process is, I didn't know, even when they announced to me that like we won Sundance, I, I, my answer was, wait a minute, this, this is a, this is a festival. Like a, we get prizes for this stuff. <laughs> like, I didn't know. I, I, I just thought like I make a movie and then somebody buys it and then it'll be shown in a, a school cafeteria during lunch. And then that's it. This, this whole entire process where to accept that I might've made an award worthy film is just, you gotta know it's a, a pure an absolutely pure artistic process because I, I had no blueprint to know that this part of the game even happens. You know, as far as I know, I just wanted people to be like, wow, he did something really, really cool. And then okay, but you'll, you'll know I did it in 2040. There's people, there's people right now that just found out I'm involved in Hamilton. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's the way that my life is. Like, oh, you're part of the Hamilton group? Yeah, hello. You know, but I'm fine with that. But look, how does it how does it feel to be in the middle of it? Because I mean, you know, the thing is, it is, it is the most exciting thing ever. Um, of course, I'd be lying to you if I say it wasn't an honor to win this my first time out. Like, I I never had a sights uh, sold on um, winning an Oscar or any sort of award. Um, however, I will say that. Uh, um, just the if i if if i were to get rewarded for something that i do as a passion um it feels even triple good that i get to do it while correcting history because at the end of the day that's more important to me the fact that history was corrected and that this got the exposure and the push and the healing um that it deserves and its place in in history because people need to know about this concert that it happened yeah well i you know i think it's done all of those things i think it's you know it is a corrective to history as i yeah. said i can't say this enough times i knew nothing about it i knew nothing about it and and i was and i'm not somebody who's just casually interested in pop movies that's the thing that that's almost the thing that i find most shocking is that that's a pop movie no, but it's a pop movie that I didn't know about. You know, it's right. like how did I not how did I not know anything about it? And I think you've done a brilliant job with it. I think it's it's entertaining. You can watch it again and again and again and every single time it's uplifting and it's defiant and it's proud and it's rocking and you know, it's just and you're right. It couldn't have come at a better moment. And I th uh, I I wish you every success with the awards. I mean, you know, if you don't win, fine. But if you do, hooray! Everyone will be cheering for it. it. You have you. you have honestly made the best concert movie of all time, and I am 
very, very pleased to see I you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> All you. right, man. Well, congratulations. A real pleasure to speak to you. And, uh, you know, Thank best you. of luck with everything. All right, Mark. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there we are. That was my conversation with Questlove about his documentary Summer of Soul, which is nominated Best Documentary at the BAFTAs. And check in again on Thursday when I'll be talking to Anne Dowd about her BAFTA-nominated performance in Mass. Thanks for listening. Keep watching the skies. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.